Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into a what well, I haven't said in a while. Another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. How are you, fellas? Well, everybody's doing all right. We made it through. We're doing all right today. Everybody's here. It's a good day outside. It's good to be in the neighborhood. Yes, uh, it's really a good day. I actually received a text earlier today. And Texas Southern University Board of Regents were meeting like they normally do, but this is the time of year where they also approve tenure and or promotion candidates. And I was a candidate, and they approved such. That means that I will be awarded tenure and promotion. Congratulations. And who are you, sir? I'm Dr. Kenyatta Caville. Of Texas Southern University, now associate professor with tenure. Go on. What else do you do? I also do. It's been a while since folks heard your voice, man. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that to my attention, such that I can speak on it. Most recently, we've um, put together, led by myself, the. Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab, which is a radio show that is dedicated to analyzing HBCU sports from every facet. Particularly this summer, we're doing a very intriguing segment that features the business of sports. It just makes dollars and cents where we look at the framework of sports from a business perspective and really go into the dollars and the details of those dollars with particular interest on how that affects HBCU athletic programs. I have a edited book coming out, uh, wrote chapters in books, several publications that are out there that refer and look at the history of sports, um, particularly from HBCUs, the HBCU framework, cultural identity associated with HBCUs, the sporting HBCU diaspora is one framework that I look at that I've coined about a lot of my research. I do a top 10 poll that looks at uh, football, and we'll be getting ready for that pretty soon. It'll be here before you know it. Less than 100 days are obviously quickly approaching. We'll do our top 10. We do it in a mid-major, major division form, major division for FCS football programs and a mid-major division for NCAA Division II and NAIA Division I programs. Working on a major project where we will honor Ben L. Cavill, Cavill Sr., who was a fullback that played at Wiley College when Wiley College was a member of the SWAC in 1925. Remember, that's only five years after the SWAC was actually founded in 1920. He played from 1925 to 1929, was an HBCU All-American, uh, courtesy of the Pittsburgh Courier, that named HBCU All-Americans at that time, as you know. Uh, that was a period of segregation, so blacks were not really uh, known to obtain All-American status at that time. You may have had two and three in the history that every that got All-American status in the mainstream, if you would, or historically white colleges and universities. I tend to prefer to them. So a little bit of background about myself. So working on some major projects, trying to move forward, have a little fun, and just glad to be back here in the studio, if you would, 
doing our podcast and meeting with some colleagues to talk about the framework of sports. A lot going on, so got a lot to cover. So that's enough about me. Well, it's, it's been almost a month since we've been on since we've done a podcast. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's let's work backwards oh, and yeah. talk about the um, NBA finals going on right now. That's the most recent thing to discuss. Series is tied 2-2 Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers. Game four, Steve Kerr made a change in the starting lineup. Took a slow-footed Andrew Bogut. Inserted Andre Iguodala. Iggy responded, led the team. Scored more points than LeBron James. Had a better, more efficient game than LeBron James. Helped the Warriors tie the series up at two with a 21-point win. And... Restored order, in my eyes. I picked the Warriors win the series in six. <laughs> so the series tied 2-2, heading back to Oakland for game five on Sunday. Then game six back in Cleveland in the 2-2-1-1-1 format. I think the Warriors figured out a way to uh, speed up the tempo. Cavs doesn't have enough bodies, enough scoring options with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love out due to injuries to uh, match up with the Fast-paced Warriors. Your thoughts? Uh, well, let me start with this one. Do you think the Warriors have figured out totally? I mean, are they going to go back to what they were been doing? Or are they going to make any more? Are they going to stay where they are right now? The status quo, going back with this one-one-one because it's one extra day of, of rest. Am I right on this? On the next series, games four and five, they get two days off. So Friday and Saturday they're off, but then. Game five is Sunday, game six is Tuesday, and then game seven, if necessary, will be Friday. That's a lot of, that's a big gap for game seven. So that two days off, if it happens, would help, could help the less depth, less deep Cavaliers. Less efficient Cavaliers. But they don't have, David Blatt doesn't use, doesn't use his, his bench. Like uh, the Warriors do, you know, you go to James Jones and Mike Miller, and that's pretty much it. So folks started discussing the possibility of having a Sean Marion sighting in Game Five, and I think I saw Tim Collishaw tweet that Sean Marion has played a total of 25 minutes this season, this postseason, oh, postseason, and he averaged 31 minutes a game for the Mavericks last year. Now, yeah, literally disappeared. Yep, over. A year's time, we understand that there's diminishing returns, but is it that bad? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is, is he could have eroded his skills could not have eroded that much in that's in a year? Oh, 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 is it just a, 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 a coach's decision did not play? It had to be. Yeah, he, he played 25 minutes in this, this postseason. He can insert. He came out and insert himself into the game. <laughs> so it's got to be coach decision. Because <laughs> so, somebody did that. I'm trying to, somebody did that at one point. I'm trying to remember who that was. But yes, folks, somebody has gotten off the bench and said, "I'm going in." So, have you seen a coaching disparity during this NBA? Playoff? Are you shocked by what you the see? Finals? As far as matchup strategy, no, wise? The, the irony is, before Game Four, everybody thought David Blatter was out coaching Steve Kerr. Right. So now Steve Kerr made an adjustment. Just our lineup in game four, now it's even out. So we'll see if David Black makes an adjustment. Got to slow down the tempo. That's what they have to do. They don't, they don't, he doesn't play enough players off the bench 
you got to get J.R. Smith involved. That's that's one guy off the bench I forgot about. So J.R. Smith, James Jones, and Mike Miller for the Cavs. You got to figure out a way to make J.R. Smith effective and productive in the offense instead of him jacking up crap from the outside and not getting it in the paint. But I don't. To me, much of his shots have not been necessarily bad shots because many of them have been open shots. Right. They just haven't been falling. In this series, he's he's taken good shots. Shots he made against the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals when he was hot. He had a lot of heat check shots. No, I agree. And with he that. made though he was just but he had he, been he hot, rolling. so he so hadn't he, had heat check <laughs> shots. So he just but he's had some wide open shots and but he they, they have to figure out a way to get him on track. Shots off a good pass, and he just has not been able to fall find the bottom of the net. And to his credit, he's manned up and said he's played like crap. He didn't say crap. He's played like crap this series so far. Yeah, there's no question about that, that he has not been at, at, what you come to expect from what he can bring to the table. And do you think they're at, at that, that mental breaking point to where somebody has to make a decision team-wise or individual to step up or to get out of the way? For Cleveland? Yeah. The rest will do them good. The extra day off will do them, should should do them well. You see someone like Matthew Delavdova who, who's uh, – Playing a lot of minutes now through the injury to Kyrie Irving and the style of play, his style of play, he's just got to, in the words of uh, our buddy Ramon Thompson, cultural <laughs> concepts, you've got to drink more fluids. You know, you cramp up. Ramon always talked about yeah. athletes, you need to drink water the night before the game. Right. Get yourself hydrated yes. before the game because – if you're not hydrated before the game, during the game won't, won't help you get yeah, ready. it's not much you can do after yeah. that. You're just trying to force it where you can get a little more playing cool. time. But also, coming into the playoffs, I mean into the championship series, I should say, the fact that you had these style of plays that you knew were going to kind of go against each other. And that the Cleveland, for the most part, was going to slow it down. Obviously, obviously, after Kyrie Irving got hurt, they even wanted to slow it down even more. Mm-hmm. But even before that, and you wanted it, you know the Golden State Warriors wanted to push the tempo and get the game up. So that's kind of what you've gone back and forth. So I think what was ironic was the fact that in the first game, that Cleveland was almost able to beat Golden State playing that style. One big shot uh, near the end of the game, and it'll be interesting. I think what becomes the forecasting, and it goes without saying, many people say almost every game you start to have it. This is a very important game, but uh, – this fifth game, with the lack of depth that the Cavaliers have, I think that they have to find a way to try to get this done at six, meaning they have to get this game. The longer it goes, the more difficult uh, their chances are. And you add on the fact that this is going to be a game seven in Oakland. makes it extremely difficult to find a way to pull this game out. So this will be a good one for the ages. They have some things going in favor, as you talked about, with the extra day of rest. Can they? They've seen one of the moves that has taken place. Can they adjust, get their legs back and play one big game to find a way to get their win and then try to close it out at home? But we also need to talk about the MVP of the series from the Warriors' perspective has been Andre Iguodala. Not Steph Curry, the regular season MVP. Not Clay Thompson. You know, so Iguodala's played well. He's played. He's defended LeBron well. LeBron is, I think, 4-14, 1-1 against Iguodala in the series. 
Iggy's, Iggy's making threes. He's running the floor in transition, beating the Cavs down the floor, making key buckets. Steph Curry has struggled from the floor, struggled making turnovers, bad passes, careless passes. I mean, at some points during games three and four, had media tweeting, what's wrong with Steph Curry? Who is this person in this uniform? Because it's not <laughs> Steph Curry. What's happening to him? He needs to get his head out of, head out of his butt because he's not playing worth a damn. I mean, that's, that's how bad some of his performances have been this series. So, um, the you know, the, the you moment has about, been got, has you talk got about, to him. You talk about Iggy to jump in there is the fact that uh, he's been the most consistent player. Yes. Uh, to your credit, as you talked about. The other two stars on the team, the biggest problem you had with Clay Thompson, Stephon Curry, that they hadn't really been consistent. And there hasn't been a game where both of them have really went off. So that's one thing, if you are a Golden State Warrior fan, is you kind of keep in your pocket. You would have to believe there's a game where they both going to give off, and you hope that happens in five uh, and, and, and find a way to try to get it done over the last two games. But you got a three-game series, and so that's the consistency you get. I think um, Green has really came back in game four. He wasn't playing very well. He stunk the first three games, I think. And so he made four can field he be goals. More consistent in play? Four field goals in the first half of game four to match the field goals totally made of, of game two and three. These last two games, maybe three. So can, can he, he be made, more consistent? So we'll see. Them? He's had back problems, but he was more aggressive. He stopped deferring to teammates and, and taking shots he can make. So uh, the Warriors have more options, scoring options, than the Cavs do. But we'll see it if David Black goes to his bench, goes to his veterans. To, to get things done, and as you talked about a lack of depth and a lack of sighting uh, from the Cavaliers, we saw that take place with a change to the lineup and getting somebody in there with Lee. And David Lee played well. He came in. We hadn't seen him. He's probably played what 20, 20 twenty five minutes yeah, he, in right. the playoffs himself. He came in, gave a lot, came back uh, yesterday, and really also was a big component of them getting that game. And we'll see how this. this Sports, many times, are about matchups. Yes. You look at how the Warriors dismantled the Rockets in games three and five, really. Games one and two on the road, Rockets were able to keep up with the Warriors at two games, one and two, had a chance to win those games because they're making threes. Because of the style of play was up-tempo, which both teams favored. But when the Rockets needed to get stopped, they couldn't get stopped. They couldn't stops. do it. Yeah. And we talked about that all season. Right. It was, at some point, it was yep. going to be a major concern yeah. in the playoffs. I Particularly, uh, as you allude to, Wildcat. And you look at how yeah. how yeah. Bogut scored more against Dwight Howard than the Rockets. And he, he looked like a statue he against out of Timothy Mozgov of the Cavs. You know what he looks like? His rookie season. He he looks. That, that, that's exactly what he looks touch, like right now. Sorts. He looks injured. He he, he no, looks not. Something is wrong with him. So much so that he, I mean, he looks got slow. But I mean, you know, he, yeah, something's not really. Due he's been to ineffective. He's just ineffective. Harrison Barnes had his moments against the Rockets, not against the Cavaliers. Yeah, I think he's had a couple of quarters. So you know, it's, well, well, let me ask this question then. His it, best it, game was probably yesterday. It, it's, it, it's been mentioned about the style of play. Yeah. That Cleveland has, has been the lunch pail and, and, uh, 
uh, the Warriors have been, you know, the team that that looks like the the finesse squad of the of the West. East East West, yeah. You know, it's it, it, stereotypical, and they pretty much, you know, they've grinded it out with teams and all. They've got extended, but up to this point, up until last night, they didn't look like themselves in the first first couple of games. Am I am I wrong? The Warriors, yeah, correct. Uh, the, the Cavs played in the first three games, especially the way the Grizzlies played. Right, the Warriors in the and semifinals of of the Western Conference. That's my point. And, no. and the Grizzlies did what they could do, despite Tony Allen battling hamstring issues and Mike Conley battling almost every injured part of his body. But after they just didn't have enough healthy bodies to get things done. Same thing is going on with the Cavs, with the Rockets. Rockets are not a physical team. Period. They're not a defensive Man. team. They're not a defense. And the stats say different. The stats will tell you all kinds of things. The Rockets rank top 10 defensive efficiency. Defensive efficiency. But Man. when it comes down to getting a stop or making a team take a shot they don't want to take, that ain't, that ain't the Rockets. Are. That ain't who they are. I've, just, I've said that, and I'm going to stand by that. And you know you say that from James Harden. Trevor Reese is the Rockets' best perimeter defender, best one-on-one defender. Hell, maybe the best low-post defender. And it's, that's not Dwight Howard. It's not James Harden. It, it, no, it's not Jason Terry or Paul Prigioni. Does Patrick Be- Beverly fit in, in that that situation? We'll see. We'll see if he. No, I'm, done, I'm talking about from what from the season with with the squad the way it is right now. Does he fit into that defense? I don't know. We'll, he is a he. We'll see if he comes back. We'll see if he he prides himself out of. Uh, and, out and people of, of say that say that one more time. Say that one more time about him pricing himself yeah, out. We'll, we'll see if his agent, he and his agent, were asked for too much money. And Daryl, I'm sure Daryl Morey has in his mind. Exactly. Has a number in his mind. And people don't get that. And if Beverly and his agent exceed that number, Daryl will say, thank you very much. Just like you did, Chandler We'll Carson. go to Sergio Yule and bring him. we come overseas and we'll go somewhere else. And so people, that's folks, how that it, is. It could happen. It could happen. Because when you say you want to test them free agent market, you're saying that for a reason. And you hadn't played in a while and you're coming off an injury. A serious one. Because you weren't you weren't capable of coming back during the playoffs. That meant that your injury was beyond what, you know, playing, at least putting some kind of effort during the playoffs. Right, but wouldn't the agent have the framework that he's has contacts with other in the business and at least has a reasonable thought? There's at least one other team, if not multiple teams. Oh, it's just up to the agent to maximize his client's marketability. Right, but I'm saying so, you wouldn't even put something out there or not. You would enter the smart, free agent right. market thinking that you have a couple of teams that has But a it only takes comment. one team yep. to make an offer that even may surprise the agent right. and say, we're going to give Pat Beverly $8 million per season. Daryl said, I mean, yeah, but you know, if you for the client, wouldn't you want to take the money? I mean, you have a, a small window to I know, that's what I'm saying. If a team offers Pat Beverly $8 million a year, he's gone. No. Sure. Right. Rock's not going to match that. No. I agree. They, you know, they, yeah. because they aren't, and they shouldn't. But I'm exactly. saying the agent has <laughs> to push the envelope and saying, I can't marry you to this team just because they're the team they got you. Uh, and and one person who... Patrick Beverly had said he hears from every day. 
is a name Wildcat just mentioned. Chandler Parsons. <laughs> and folks thought that wasn't going to happen. Mavericks got money. They got money spent this offseason. They got plenty of money. They have like yeah. one plan of contract. That's it. And <laughs> into the fall. <laughs> and that's it. Folks, the team is so going to They got get... like 11 free agents. Max could have potentially 11 free agents up in there in Dallas. And, it's, it's, <laughs> and it could change. Amazing. Yep. You know, it's, it's, and people are looking around. What is it? Is it this season or next season when when the big next <laughs> next summer is when the is big when the cap this, leaps to what ninety? Yep, ninety million. About six eight right now to ninety some million dollars. And folks, that's a lot of money. That There's going to be the, so much free agency next summer. And it's going to be awesome. A lot of one year contracts. I'm looking forward to that. I agree. It's, <laughs> it's going to be out there. And we'll see how many players and agents this summer will sign or agree to sign multi-year deals knowing that the cap is going to go up a huge amount next summer. Great point. Do they want to take guaranteed money now or and risk missing out on possibly more money next summer? Right. And you think about the player that did that the best that scared some people in a way, but he really understood what was going through the marketplace was LeBron James when he signed his. Yep, LeBron signed a two-year deal last summer with option on this this coming right. season. Most most people were scared, but then when people dug a little deeper, they found out it was less about him seriously thinking about leaving. Obviously, that's always on the table, but it's about the fact that he wanted to maximize um, what he would, could earn in getting a long-term contract. LeBron is a businessman. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that. We, we can segue into my my point. Is he the NBA uh, executive of the year? Who? LeBron. He has to win. No, no I'm talking. About, I'm, talk, I'm talking no, about. No. I'm talking about putting the team together. That no, no, no. David Griffin is, of the Cavs did all that. <clears throat> he may be the. You know, he he may have coached more than David Blatt has, but no, that's not getting wrong. Because I think he's done some pretty good executive work. You know, I mean, I don't at least do. providing <laughs> suggestion. And 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 to that point, that you know, was seriously that, 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 considered because I never saw them that that the, the group that he has. I mean, especially the group that he has now, getting to this point in in, in the season, getting to the finals. When you lose Kevin Love, and then you you end the season with an unhealthy Kyrie Irving, and you still had made rotations beyond the first seven or six guys, as as especially as a coach. You you pushing the limit, but Tristan Thompson helped the Cavs' defense improve. Kevin Love is not a defensive player. Right. Oh, I, you and I both know that because he hadn't been that way since high school. So Love going out with injury put Tristan Thompson and the defense inside the lineup, and that's the thing. Same that way that. with Kyrie, in a lot of ways, they lost something on the offensive side and they improved on the defensive side. Love was a better defensive player than Kyrie, exactly without question. So when you look at it, I think it's intriguing that they LeBron is the the individual that allows you to be able to play both styles. And those injuries hurt their depth, but improved them on defense and allowed them to win in to the playoffs. Concentrate on that side of the ball to win. You know, differently the than they probably would have to have done if Love and Kyrie were healthy. Correct. They would have outscored, they were outgunned teams rather than shut teams down. Wildcat. Uh-huh. Yes. We're going to talk about Triple Crown? The NC- oh, heck no. It's not right now. No. Uh, okay. The NCA playing rules oversight oh, panel yes. has gone to four 10-minute quarters in women's basketball. Here we go. 
and I'm waiting for for Thoughts? camp to start. I'm waiting for camp to start to figure to, to figure <clears throat> some things out. But Thoughts? How much did, according to the two emails that I got? I'm gonna add this because I was asked in both emails. It's basically the same thing. How much will the four quarter change um, will improve and move the game along to a better flow? Also, with the uh, I'm still trying to just gather information and all on the uh, on the timeout situations. Uh, how they're going to change and reset those. Uh, same thing with the with the uh, now you the file team files will restart every every quarter, and it'll be the, the fifth file. So it'll be interesting how that how quickly uh how long uh, how long you will go in a quarter before you make a decision that says okay, let's get to a point since we're gonna restart the next uh, restart, let's get to a point lateness in the second quarter, late in the first quarter, kind of like just doing what's going on right now between uh, Golden State and Cleveland. Slow the game down. I'll speed it up and just take your chances. And these are forced the officials to referee the game in the way you want it from the sideline as a coach. Or just we just let it fly. One thing I like is the symmetry going from high school now into college in the pros that you have the same symmetry. I've always yeah. had a little concern about it. It, it makes sense the lack of symmetry between the two. But high I school like needs it. a shot clock. Exactly, and uh, that. Is going to take a governing body from the uh, high school federation to, to to uniformly put that into place because some states they do have shot class. Uh I can't name them off, a name offhand, but here in the state of Texas, we definitely need that. I would agree with that. But the other thing I think that can make it interesting, as you alluded to timeouts and how you play with it, is the fact that now versus just having two. In the past, where you look at coaches really working, how they're going to close out a right end Wait, of a waiting, half, on the, waiting on the media time. The game, now you in. have a chance that you're going to add two points in that with them closing out at the end of the quarter. So I think you can get some nuances in the coaching style of play, which could be intriguing and interesting uh, part of it. So uh, I like it. I don't have a problem with it. I will follow to see if there's anything that uh, stands out to me that I. Begin not to like, but at this point, uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Quote, this person said, I like the new rules, particularly the quarters. I think it'll be good for the flow of the game and cut down on the amount of times you have two media timeouts on two dead balls. You're going to increase scoring opportunities by the fifth foul, being double bonus instead of the one and one. I think the scoring will go up because of it. Fans want scoring. They do not want 55 to 53 games. They want to see the score in the 70s. End quote. Who said that? I would. If I had to just off the cuff and all, I think that came from the guy that just won. Gino? No, sir. Really? And I'm working on trying to get a few more quotes from local area coaches. Oh, that was local coach? Indeed. That would have to be Coach Huey. No, sir. Really? Keep going. The new coach at Rice? Nope. Keep going. They're not, they're on my list. Uh, Reaching out coach, to both uh, of them. Coach, coach Finney over at, at HBU? I have quotes from her. I'm about to read some from, from her. Oh, no. Wait a minute. You mean somebody actually contacted you back and, 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 and gave a quote? Because <laughs> I'm saying it just like that. Yes. Uh, You're putting too much thought into this. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, PSU? Um, nope, waiting for it to hear back from her as well. Because <laughs> 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 ah, we only have one seat. All two. right, I'm, I'm not let's, for waiting. Let's, okay, let's, let's, local, it, local. What do I consider local? Okay, now. I make this drive. I made this drive, but it's local. All right, I went in. It's got to be College Station, too. Thank you very much, Echo Gary Blair. Yes. Okay. Of the Aggies. Yes. Uh huh. And, and and how did he uh, also feel about the uh, out of a timeout in certain situations, the ball going to half court to start at the uh, at the uh, twenty eight foot mark at the timeline in the front court, and then you don't have to go to the length of the length of the floor. Yeah, that's that's like to have it in the NBA. You can advance the ball, you know. So that's a, that's a great I, one. And I, I, now that yeah, I, like I, it, I, I that I prefer that because now that's a strategy. Time out. Yep. And, and and that changes the whole makeup of the floor and, and 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 what you call either from a sideline uh uh or uh, a full more, run more excitement more tactical yep. and you don't have to worry about again, that you also take the first 10 seconds out of the clock situation of, of bringing the ball up court now, it's, now keep in mind this is just that rule where you can advance the ball after a bucket is in the last minute of the fourth quarter in overtime but still, it changes the, the, the end of the game. Call time out, you can exactly. It changes the end of the game. It makes it more strategic on both both sides. Now you, it's worth it for you to call a, a timeout uh, with ten seconds or less left, left because now you got you got room and you got space. And you got time to get some things to get, put some things together and give yourself options. So, especially in the women's game, no knock on the on the women from this perspective. But three seconds left, you have to advance the ball from. Backcourt, the chances of full court heaves going in or things like that, scoring from beyond half court, are very slim compared to the mid because of the you know strength, etc. But now they can advance the ball to the front court with three seconds left. The game's still exciting, so you can have a better chance of scoring a three or getting a two point shot. So that's good. <coughs> also, defenders can now use forearms. Or an open hand to defend an offensive post player whose back is to the basket. Now, when I saw that, you know what I, I thought about? I was like, man, this is going to be, this is going to really be interesting. I'm going to start really paying attention to post play because that changes everything inside the paint. It takes it to another level mentally for both the official and the player. HBU's coach Donna Finney told me, quote, this is interesting. It's about the uh, post-defense that I just referenced. The one rule that was interesting that was changed was the arm bar in the post. After this past year, when there was so much emphasis put on cleaning up post-defense, it'll be challenging for officials to find a balance, end quote. No, it won't. It should be. It should be. Cause Are you speaking as an official? Yep. Okay, well, that's why and you're out of when, when we go to camp this summer, that'll be one of the things that's supposed to be a, a point of emphasis to get everybody's attention. Because now you go, you now you referee the game just like you would the, uh, the fellas at that point when you get in the paint. Because it's, with contact, you all look. You, okay, you but then why is in why is men's college basketball so physical right there? They don't call everything like they should. Uh huh. <laughs> it would depend on. Now, this is just me. If I asked you to clean it up and you do, 
and it doesn't get excessive, I'm going to let some things go back and forth. But when it gets excessive, meaning by forearm into the back, then a knee shiver, then yeah, I'm going to make them make that call. Okay, let's shift. Let's piggyback on that. On the men's side, men's basketball committee, they changed to the 30-second shot clock, go down 35 to 30, and try to improve the pace of play. From the NCAA's press release, key areas officials will focus on in the upcoming season are perimeter defense, particularly on the dribbler, and strictly enforcing directives established before the 2013-14 season. Physicality in post-play, screening, particularly moving screens, and requiring the screener to be stationary. Allowing greater freedom of movement for players without the ball. That means no chucking when they're coming across screens, well, setting, trying to come across the paint or going baseline, no nudging them, trying to just give your teammate time to catch up to him when he's coming across, coming over curl. Right. Things like that. College ball is, all that stuff is nice. Let's see them enforce it. Because they, they proposed all, they saw these things two years ago. They didn't enforce it. The game was more physical. The pace slower now. College ball is, men's college ball is a bore. That's when you got guys who can't shoot. They can't shoot. And that's why it's a bore. Open shots. That is why it's a bore. They can't shoot, make open shots. So they're really struggling when they're closely guarded or being bumped around and bumped off balance or can't follow through on, on jump shots. So they need to fix all this stuff. We'll see if they do. Thoughts on that? It has to do with, do with more with um, guys uh, either too close to the action, being in the right position now to, to see what you need to see in that in that area and not be concerned elsewhere. And that's the only, and that's just from me speaking. Um, and sometimes you can you can miss by being too close, or you can miss by being too far away. You gotta you gotta find a balance of where you can see that painted area to alleviate that. But it goes back to what I just just said. If there's some little, little dilly dallying on with the hands and the, and the trying to wave each other off, and you're looking back at the, at the official trying to get it, get his attention. I look at that like two kids and all in the back seat of the car, and I'm gonna have to open my mouth up and say, "Look, cut that out." So I'm gonna ask you to clean that up. But if I if you go to the point to where you got the the forearm or the elbow in the back of the uh, uh, in the uh, middle of the bag, and then you got the knee shiver working, then yeah, I'm gonna make that call, and it's gonna be on the on the person that that that's initiating the contact, whether it's offensive or defensive, trying to open up on a pick and roll or screen and get position. To either get a rebound or to get get the ball and score. I will say this to your credit. I think one of the problems you have um, that is not directly related to how the officials call the game, in a lot of the ways, the coaches are overcoaching the game. And as they do that, they're embedding their opinions constantly on the rest for them to overlook the things and uh, call certain things. And a lot of ways, I think that is also crowding the way the game uh, should be played in terms of opening it up such that you can get more scoring. Mm-hmm. So while part of this is, as you alluded to, um, a question of officials calling the game, I think you also need a concerted effort 
and for the coaches to make sure that they coach in a way that opens up the style of play. Oh, definitely. I definitely agree on that. Too much overcoaching on the college level, particularly. A few more things, a few more rules that the men's committee approved or have said they will enforce. They reduced media timeouts, um, I think number from four to three. Thank goodness. Well, let me, I'll, I'll read that. It gets more specific than that, but let's go down to the release. Um, teams have one fewer timeout. Only three can carry over instead of four into the, into the second half. Officials will focus more on resuming play quickly after timeout and will issue a delay of game warning when the team does not comply and a one-shot technical foul on subsequent violations. They will adjust immediate timeout procedures to allow a timeout call within 30 seconds of a break. In other words, at the, for example, at the 1630 mark or any time after the scheduled media timeout becomes media timeout. So Coach K, for example, will call timeout at 1630. And then at 15.59, the first dead ball under 16, be another timeout. So now Coach K calls a timeout at 16.30. That, it will, that, it, that does become the media timeout. Right. So... It'd be interesting to see how TV feels about that. So you, you're missing out on some commercial time being aired. So we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> um, Cause they, they do set the, set the time on everything. Right. Oh, speaking of setting time, um, on last week, I think it was, um, yeah, it was last week. The commissioner made a, made mention and answered a question as far as the late time and time starts. As long as he's commissioner, that will be 8.30, 8.45, 9, 9 p.m. starts because the number of demographics, folks that watch, they watch those games in particular, especially on the East Coast. Don't know why, but they aren't concerned about the West Coast and the Midwest. The media market still resides as far as they're concerned with, with uh, dollars and cents. Is on at the East End. Well, we'll we'll see how because the NBA Finals ratings for the first four games have been record record setting highest numbers thus far because they've been in what double digits. But oh, I could read. You can go to my men's who's blog and and, and see the, the numbers. HoustonRoundBarView.com and get to the men's hoops and uh, check out the blog there. I post the uh, tidbits from the press releases that ESPN PR sends out to media and I'll post game four numbers later on but the, the numbers have increased from the previous seasons and I'll read a few details but I'm curious to see what if anything will be done regarding the cameramen camera people located on the baselines in lieu of Mr. What just happened? NBA LeBron James getting hitting his head on the camera and receiving gash and not stitches and players tweeting during the game after that injury. It's got to be something to be done because the players don't like it. I believe the cameras are too close to the court, too close to them. So we'll see, since it's not happened to the star of the league, if that will be negotiated and more changes will be made because it, they got moved back once before, a few years ago. So we'll see if they get moved back what? even further. All right, how many, because in NC2A, it's <laughs> 40 cameras. It's 20 on each end. Uh, sitting in that, in those two slots. 
How many are there? Uh, uh, you don't know? I don't know the I don't know the exact, exact numbers, but I'm sure for the finals, it's more than that. <clears throat> That's interesting. That is truly interesting. Because 20 guys, 20 cameras with lens on them, and those slots on the, on both ends of the floor. That's twenty on each end. Um, at the uh, final four, that's that's a lot of cameras. You know, pointing toward the floor and getting a lot of a, a, a lot of photo action. It's just interesting. Yeah, moving forward, it'll be interesting to follow to see which which side of the business dictates that. In regards to making sure that you get the exposure that you want, um, allowing the news narratives, whether it's radio, television, film, internet now as part of it, and being able to capture the functionality of the game versus the business side that's going to look at the potential injuries. And oddly enough, while you had the injury with the stanchion and how they played out with the Olympics, that was one component, obviously not directly to the cameras, but the functionality in terms of the location, which is similar when you look at this. In this particular situation, you didn't have that catastrophic type of injury, but more so with, obviously, concussions becoming a bigger issue outside of what happened in the NFL now moving into the other sports, including basketball. The fact that the concussion part of this could have been more problematic than it seems like it could, it will be. Because you, could you imagine... LeBron James having to sit out a game because of a concussion that he got uh, because he hit his head on the camera. Uh, that would be difficult for and we'll, the NBA and the owners to swallow. And we'll see how much LeBron will voice his thoughts, objections, concerns Great to, to the positions of the camera people on the baseline. Numbers. From uh, Game 4, last night's Game 4 delivered a 13.9 overnight rating. That's a big number. Which is the highest rated Game 4 on ABC in over a that's decade. A, that's a big number. And up 31% from the 10.6 for last year's Game 4 between Miami and the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, and you got what's driving the numbers, particularly <coughs> not being teams that people associated with huge media markets. Uh, LeBron and Steph Curry. Yep. <clears throat> young artist. A young Audience, I like what the people love. Eight, Steph Curry <laughs> at eighteen to to fifty fifty four crowd. Could to any uh, to any other players, two players, no drive those numbers. Not not right now. I, I mean, LeBron matched it with somebody else. Oh, maybe, maybe Kevin Durant. You know, possibly somebody like that. But uh, uh him and Kobe. But you know, keep in mind, the Warriors, no, no, they Kobe for sure, because it's L.A. But I was going similar to that. The Warriors bring in California, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, yeah. probably some Los Angeles as well. Degree, Los Angeles, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, excellent point. So we'll see how that goes. Wildcat, who are you? I am Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me online at Twitter, Facebook, and Sound uh, at. J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry, and Facebook, uh, Jerry L. Woodley Jr. You can find me on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Blogger, AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report.
one thing I wanted to look at as we look at the discussion, I know in a lot of ways this is traditionally out of the college sporting season, and we got a while before we jump into football. But I, I just came across this, and this is more on the academic issues of collegiate sports, and it just is intriguing to me, and there's two separate frameworks of how people look at this. So I want to do a framework of how you look at things. So this is college. This is college football. Uh, this is a quote. You can tell me who it is. I think we recognize that all of my football players are at risk. All of them, really. Who said that? He and I discussed this earlier. So, uh, You'll refrain for a while. Yeah. And then I'll just jump in. What what level are we talking at? It's on the FBS level. All of my players are at risk. Nick Saban? It's a pretty good guess. <laughs> and I would have thought so too until I had the conversation. Um, Notre Dame's Kelly. Oh. And so I'll paraphrase and kind of get into this and move on and get your thoughts on this. After a year of turmoil at Notre Dame, Coach Brian Kelly admitted Thursday that all of his players are at risk and academically and that the university will do its best going forward to provide the resources necessary for players to succeed in the classroom. And another separate quote, honestly, I don't know that any of our players would get into the school by themselves right now with the academic standards the way they are. Maybe one or two of our players that are, that are on scholarships. So, quote, making sure that with the rigors that we put them in, playing on the road, playing night games, getting home at four o'clock in the morning, all the demands that we are play that we place on them relative to the academic and ongoing into an incredibly competitive academic classroom every day. We recognize this is a different group and we have to provide all the resources necessary for them to succeed and don't force them into finding shortcuts. End quote. What are your thoughts on that, Jim? Duh. That's it. I mean, what what are we going to do about it? Well, as a professor, I'm going to fuss and rant. Because <laughs> it, it bothers me that, one, the coach would would reference every player that is, that's in uniform on scholarship. Two, according to quite a few of the alumni here in town, that I associate with, um, Lou Host was the last coach to get agreement to allow the NC2A's uh, framework of interest uh, qualifications to get, for students to get in there in uh, Notre Dame. And I thought the book had been closed. But apparently uh, that was not done and is not being done. And at this point, it's almost like we don't care. We tired of losing, and we hadn't won a national championship in a while. We want to get back there, and we don't care how we get there. Am I wrong with the doc? With this? No, that's part of it. I definitely agree that you got people that, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, want to take shortcuts. But before I chime in, Chris, did you want to add anything to it? No, I think Notre Dame. I think that's a major part of his concern is. He's trying to win a national championship, but he doesn't believe that Notre Dame's academic requirements allow his him to get elite-level players who can perform on the field, help him win, 
and stay eligible and if not and also excel in the classroom at Notre Dame. I do agree that's his framework, but I, I purposely think that there's two frameworks when you look at it is the fact that uh, they talk about the mission of schools and, and how these students are supposed to be uh, academic first and then athletes in regards to that, but this kind of throws that to the wind. As you suggested in your original statement, is like, yeah, we already kind of knew that, uh, but we're still – in the framework that we don't want to pay them. So it's funny how on one side we talk about, yes, we want to save the game and we want to be purity and we want to start stay with this college framework. But on the other side, we want to brand it uh, more business than ever. And secondly, I think it's just an uh, excuse in a lot of ways for a coach to want to take more of an easy way out. And the reason I say that, you have another example of an institution uh, that is looking at this. And that is Stanford's academic becoming a recruiting advantage. They have taken the other parallel side of, side of this. And in 2016, like every other class before, the academics will keep a school from signing a recruiter it wants. Uh, we understand that many of these academic institutions that are private play under this rule. But Stanford has taken a different framework. And while no coaching staff is hamstrung by academics at Stanford, the only program we're gaining acceptance into the school is part of the recruiting process. You won't hear Stanford coaches bemoaning the academic requirements of the school. That's because Stanford has turned its one-of-a-kind admission process and into a full-on recruiting advantage. Embracing the concept of, quote, nerd nation, coupled with the cardinal on-field success, has helped transform an admission offer into possible entry to one of the coolest clubs in the country. It starts as a popular club does with selective entry. So oftentimes this is a framework that we see this, the dichotomy, how we de decide to dispose the information from one side or the other. So I thought I wanted to bring the table just from a unique perspective because I thought you had two collisions on different sides of the perspective. One coach is saying that our kids can't do it. They need more help to succeed. And we'll, let's get it done while another coach is embracing it, pushing forward, and getting it done. And it's interesting that Stanford, being that particular school, that uh, if you have an idea, once you become a student, and if you have an idea that will take you to a level uh, that is good, great for the uh, uh, to a level of success that's great for the masses. You'll get pushed out. They'll tell you, "Hey, take your shot." You know that's that's something that's going to work in this world. It's going to benefit everybody that's, that's that's around. You need to go get that done. And athletically, we've seen their graduates, for whatever reason, they figured it out, they succeed, and they move forward. And you don't hear the uh, uh, the complaints and all about school is too hard. You just don't. And and I like that. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I like that. And at Notre Dame, it's almost like we've heard over the last five years, I know for a fact that, and this was before, uh, this was before uh, Brian Kelly got the job, that academics needs to be dumbed down for them to get to a football uh power to become a football power again when all you need to like you said st Stanford find a way 
they had Harbaugh, and he made he figured it out and says, okay, this is what I got to work with. I'm going to make that work. Yep. Pass it on to Shaw, David Shaw, and he continues to get some things done. And, folks, that, that is how you build continuity. You find a plan, uh, a successful chart, and you put it all together. And, well, and, and as it, I talked about this being the business side of this, and I kind of close with this and get off that quote-unquote soapbox. Uh, but it is the business of sports. So like in any business, you take your strategies and you take the uniqueness that you have uh, and you make it a strength. You find that unique component that you have in it and you make it a strength of what you can get done and you find a way to stay within your business platform and you move forward. Here in town, that's a perfect example. You know, you got Rice HBU football program. They've figured it out and make the they hadn't had the headaches and all. U of H is starting to make a move now uh, academically. And hopefully they'll find their niche and make it work the same way here at Texas Southern. We better. Well, you heard that from the doctor himself. But I will say the this last thing professor. is, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> that uh, Texas Southern has no APR problems. So they have finally. Like I said, they, 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 they some things done. figured it out. And matching the fact that they didn't have APR problems and have all teams eligible, you do that on the heels that this year they won the CD Henry, which is the men championship. Wow. Uh, and then they were tied for second. Uh, I mean, they were second on the women's side, and they also finished second overall uh, with the uh, combination of the conference. Trophy. So Eight minutes. They're finding a way to get it done. Eight minutes. Going to touch on this. As listeners know, and anyone who follows me on Twitter at the HR Review also knows, I am a proud alum of the University of Houston. Want to acknowledge the H Town Takeover, baby. The H Town Takeover. Tom Herman, University of Houston football coach. Doing big things, shocking the re- recruiting world the last few weeks. Dr. Cavill, Doc. Yes. Do you know that the University of Houston under Tom Herman became the first, was it, group five, non-power five to receive a commitment? Of course, it's a verbal right now. Commitment to a ESPN top 300. 300? A top 100. He would hell. He's top. Edward Oliver is the number three defensive tackle in the entire country. So he's a top the 10. number six overall prospect in his paying three hundred, and he verbaled to the University of Houston from Westfield High School. I believe that was on May twenty first when he opened up a whole lot of eyes. Did not know that is five star recruit. He chose them. Change has come over Alabama, LSU. As he said, I think he told Joseph Duarte at the Chronicle, and Joseph asked him, who are the teams on your your list? It was not. It was exactly, everybody. <laughs> Any top program. You name it. Was, was after me. And, of course, signing day is in February, so I've had high school alums tell me it's a long day. It's a long time between now and signing is, day. It is, which is fair, but the fact that he's starting here, it's still yeah. a big statement in itself. And what that's you say, have to find a way to finish it off. Yeah. But before you can ever finish it off, you have to start. Yep. And a few things in U of H's favor. His brother 
play football at UH already. And that's uh, Marcus Oliver and his former high school coach at Westfield is now at UH on coaching staff. So, and that's Corby Meekins. I think Coach Meekins is a uh, tight end coach at U of H. So, Edward Oliver is 6'2", 285, 300-pound defensive tackle. You can watch video of him. You can see, and in his interviews that he's done since verbaling to the Cougars, and the H-Town takeover is, is Coach Herman and the, and the staff's marketing slogan slash campaign recruiting slogan basically to all of the Houston area football top tier talent to get them to commit to U of H to basically one of the selling points recruiting points that they're telling the top level talent is less we need you we want you to help turn U of H into the U like you was back in the 80s when Coach Snellenberger and those coaches recruited Miami and kept all that stellar talent in Miami and have turned them into a national power. So that it's similar and, and it's on Twitter. The hashtag takes off when I tweet about retweet news about Edward Oliver and other players, defensive linemen, O-linemen, verbaling to Coach Herman. The H-Town takeover continues. The H-Town takeover is rolling right along. That is that is caught on in Houston. I like it. The uh, Cougar alums are happy. They're geeked. They're excited about this coming season. Look forward to future seasons. They're spending the money. We'll see if with all oh, their butts show up in the seats in the fall. <laughs> That's going to be the key. I'm buying my tickets. I bought my tickets. That's going to be the key. So, but Put the H-Town the takeover, seat. I mean, it's it's a campaign that they've shown shown players. We want you here. We want you to help us become special. And it's work. And it's working. And just the fact, first and foremost, that these, you got a top six prospect and top hundred, top ten, top twenty-five, top fifty, top hundred talents considering U of H. Having U of H in their top ten, then narrowed down to their top five list of schools going against Texas, A&M, Alabama, LSU shows you how far Coach Herman and his staff have elevated U of H in this short amount of time. And let me just say this, and this is a, I'm sure this is a dig at people on 40 acres, but there is a picture of Mac Brown with Tom Herman. Mac Brown holding up the U of H's fingers and saying, Coach Herman is going to do great things at U of H. He is a hell of a recruiter. I always remember this. There's quite a few of the guys that's on staff with Coach Herman uh, were the same staff, on the same staff, they made a one-year turnaround at Rice. People never saw that coming. I mean, literally. They never saw that coming. That went from two O and 2 seasons, the O for seasons, and... Coach getting fired, and you went in a totally different direction with a brand-new um, athletic director, and it all worked out. They go to a bowl game, and the team and that program has never looked back since that change. Am I wrong? Nope. 
And here's a quote from Mac Brown's Twitter. I'm going to find the uh, picture. From May 25th. So proud of Tom Herman being head coach at Houston. They're killing it in recruiting. He will be a superstar soon. Ain't going to be long. I can tell you that for sure. And I've been told this. I was told this by a coach years ago that uh, got a uh, head coaching job at a private school um, in the Midwest. Say at point blank, if he had gone to a state school, his winning would have happened a lot quicker, and his recruiting base would have been a lot stronger in the city. And let me correct myself. I don't want to lie on Mac Brown. He didn't hold up the U of H fingers. That's Coach Tom Herman. He's just in the picture with his arm around Tom Herman. Proud. You cleaned it. I was going to let that just roll no, no, out. No, no, no. I want Longhorns being pissed off at me. Most of the For what? For what? What, what you no, got to no, be I want to have it on my, on my own merits for them to be pissed off at me when uh, you know, you know, if they ever give us a chance to play the football again, we smack that ass. That's what I want to be well, proud about. I, they got to find a quarterback. And right now, who? Uh, UT does. Uh, exactly. They, they seriously, something is going on with that with that situation. I don't know. I know coach is, is, uh, is, is demanding at that position. Most coaches are. But they've got to find a quarterback, not a, not some great quarterback. They've got to find a quarterback that can handle the, the mental part of the, the, of the game. Because once you get, to, get past that part of it, the physical part is going to be easy. You know, just do, you, just do your job. But right now, they've got to find a consistent quarterback. I don't know where they find that person at, but guys are not wanting to go there and play. They are looking at an easier out or something. And, and, we'll and, see. It, and it's just interesting. It is. And, it, and he has, I swear I saw it on, on a news crawler or it could have been a dream. But I hope not. But um, soon after, top tier local talent, Westfield, Westside lineman, verbal to U of H, people started saying that uh, Kevin Sumlin, Charlie Strong are concerned about U of H closing the doors. On recruiting, and I'm like, "Hold, slow your roll now, folks." Like, okay. Doc, I want to turn this one on you. Doc, 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 I'm going to let, let, let you talk. I'm going to let you talk, Doc. I'm going to let you talk, Doc. Go Cougs this and how's that? I was letting y'all have y'all. <laughs> and I trust me now. I know it. I know what my. I know what my line and what what I Admit that this is really good, but not so fast. Not so fast. Doc, they ain't weird. No. They ain't weird, Doc. But here's here's something from, from Burnt Orange Nation. Now, Burnt, I will give yes. you credit. If they continue to do and they this have to. and you have multiple, you gotta, and that will start to really change the framework. But one recruit ain't gonna make the change. is not going to get somebody. Oh, no. He's, but Edward Oliver, I, I can get the, the names of the other guys. No, I understand. That, that, but but I'm saying but, even one and when I say one recruit, I'm talking about one, one recruiting class. cycle. Well, yeah. He got to do it. Repeatedly, you know, U has has to do this two, three, four, five years. You got to sign a four-year class of top level, top ten, become. But I like a the top fifteen program in recruiting where you look at them because now you see all the same folks over, you know, Florida State, Alabama, Michigan, LSU, over and over again. The same people over and over again. You see U of A getting that top fifteen, top twenty year in and year out. Then 
you'll really see eyes open and folks, damn, U of H, they're at it again. They're doing it again. Because that talent will, should equate in winning championships, especially if they stay in the American Athletic Conference. Because no question, U of H, talent-wise, needs to be. My biggest concern with the framework of the story that they're talking, I think it's great to market it in that manner, and I think it puts you in a position to take advantage of some other frameworks that may come down the line. But I just think the Power Five will really cluster themselves such a way it's going to be hard to get into that door and play for the championships. Uh, just the way they set things up. They purposely have done that. And so that's my concern. You winning the championships in America and in those natures, how realistic realistic is it that you're going to get an opportunity to play for a national championship? And Will, hold on. Hold that thought real quick. Real, that's a little blur from BurntOrangeNation.com. With Herman's team, this not a legitimate player for high-level pros- local prospects. That's what I said. That's BurntOrangeNation.com. That's a start. Yes, That's a start. start. That's a start. Not a guy at U of H, Coach Herman, and his staff has to follow up on that and legitimize those. Because clearly, these websites, and, and, and I know there are some Aggies and other co-workers, you know, who are diehard Aggies? They are starting to pay attention to U of H football. Tom Herman, now. trust me, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're wondering now how long, how, how long is he going to be there? He keeps doing this at U of H. How long y'all, can y'all afford to keep him? What y'all going to do over there, kid? Now, now, you know so, what? So it's already started, right? Now, now. This, this was that. I'm going to say that, that, and this is why, folks, this is why foot, college football drives it. We're, I'm at a, I'm, I'm at, I'm at Oklahoma City. We're in break because of weather delays. It's lightning. It's lightning up, up in Oklahoma and Kansas. And you were there for what? The Women's College World Series. Michigan Because won. you are who? I, because I am the college sports reporter. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. No problem. I don't mind. We sitting in, we, I'm sitting, we sitting in the, in the press box, media press box waiting for our evening dinner. Uh, and that literally what we were. But when you're surrounded by a bunch of SEC folks, eventually it'll kind of like move the needle and all the conversation towards football. And it's male and female. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it was, it was interesting that first thing on their mouth was, you know, it's interesting how these folks think they're going to just move into our playoff system. And that's just the way it was referred. Now, Literally, Doc, you 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 know because that's that's how they feel. That's how they set the system up. It's how they feel. That's one thing, but they set the system up. The the sad part about it all was when three schools, just like their fans, got into a shouting match. This is media now, you know, and and, uh, folks that do regular shows and all. I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this up close. Because it was pretty much, you know, woman stood up and said, hey, I think you need to leave. <laughs> and I was like, okay. The conversation shouldn't have gotten that far, but it got personal. And because these school and the SEC, as much as they are together when it's one against everybody else, when they're against it, when they're in, within their environment, it is every school for themselves. 
and they could care less about what the other one thinks about it. SEC has a sickness, so <laughs> other than outside of how they are money machine driving, some but, people say now championships to some. The question I was going to ask you: uh, but, when, yeah. when 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 does the next uh, voting cycle or uh, contract cycle comes in for things for it getting rearranged? Not uh, as for uh, for the the system getting rearranged. Yeah, you're talking until another seismic shift right. in terms of conferences. Because until some 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 facilities, the next cycle that's coming along, so you you won't see it in a while because. SEC obviously did their cycle, just came off of their contract. They had the record $31 million per school split, over setting a record for money given to a conference mm-hmm. in the NCAA. Um, but the Big Ten is coming up on theirs in about a year, and they think that they should be able to surpass what's going on in the SEC. So I don't think you'll see much change there because they're coming out of their change. I think if you see any change, it's going to be the Big 12, but it's going to be more from the framework that they want to get into some type of championship. But it's the understanding that may slow that down a little bit is the fact that they're thinking the legislation will pass that says that you don't have to have a minimum of 12 teams to do a championship game. Outside of that, there's some concerns of what the television package is doing with the Pac-12. So they might push the issue again to try to see if they can expand and get their numbers up. So that's another way that things can start over again. So those are kind of the frameworks that you'll see seismic changes in the conference realignment. But before you ask the next question, mm-hmm. follow up. The next thing that I'm gonna hear Chris <laughs> telling you, I, I know, but I got one for him though. I got, I got one for him. This is the reason that Charlie Strong is coming over here to meet with Asbury to do a little cap on campus to make sure that they. And I rest my case. What's going they, on with the Houston Cougs? I rest my case. And I reply like, he better. <laughs> <laughs> but, see, but, but, Doc, I'm going to get to the conversation you and I had before before he got here. We ain't scared. <laughs> we ain't scared. Oh, okay. We now, ain't scared. You had mentioned earlier, you said uh, They don't want to play us. We ain't scared of y'all. You, you had sent an email to, to both of us uh, earlier about the Pac-12 making changes and all, and, and our money situation and all, how is that coming along since you since you sent that? Or have you had a chance to, to, to no, get it? We'll, and Doc touched on it, we'll see how long it takes the presidents and ADs to complain about the growing gap between the Pac-12 and the rest of the Power 5 conferences when it comes to revenue split among their members. As The sooner it takes them That's right to complain and discuss what are we going to do, what can we do to shrink this gap, the sooner another seismic shift can occur in NCAA. If they're still happy and content with what we have, you know, Big 12, uh, excuse me, the Pac-12 network, and we're doing everything ourselves and we're spending money and investing into that, so for, for a few more years, we're not going to see huge money because we're spending some money investing into the network as long, if as long as they're content with that, things will be status quo. But as soon as they start, hey, this ain't working. I'm tired of seeing the SEC making ten million dollars more per school than, than us. We need to fix this. Then, when that happens, then you see another shift. And I won't and, say and how I'll that. Tell but you I know what's byproduct of that, or was something that may drive that, is the fact you'll see what the economy does 
and how legislative state bodies within their state decide to allocate funding to universities. If that pot starts to get smaller, they're going to look to find other ways to get the resource or the revenue, which could be a, another possible way that you can see this shoot off. And people don't necessarily make the connection between what goes on in politics and policies going into academics, particularly at the institutional level of higher learning, and how that matriculates out into the sporting athletic complex. Now, the reason I mention that, because of what transpired at the Women's College World Series, doesn't the Pac-12 own their own network rights, and, and don't they have their – it's set up different than the other – uh, than the uh, SEC and the yes. Big Ten and all. Yes. To the, to that point, only the SEC network was there every day doing post game interviews on the individual outside of the main uh, cattle call uh, at post at, uh, at, at post games of the, uh, of the uh, at the uh, Women's College World Series. Yeah, Series. but I think you have to be careful with that. There's a byproduct of that when you have the fact that. The SEC network non-traditionally is different than a lot of the programs okay. because it is essentially a byproduct of ESPN. And so with ESPN having the contractual uh, rights okay. to the softball, it's much easier for SEC, even though it's under this banner, to be able to be there and provide coverage because in a lot of ways, the way that ESPN, ABC, Walt Disney, by default, uh-huh. sees that is that this is another way to augment uh, their overall salary, I mean, their overall marketing platform and budget for their television resources of what's going on there. Now, the other thing that would, would stood out in my mind, especially after the first day, they're a lot more lenient with camera work, you know, for post games, unlike at, at, uh, at, at the other championships. And I found that strange and interesting. It was like a note, FYI. To, you know, take I that think it'll point. be interesting to follow out. Is that something that is as new of what you may see more of, or was this just isolated championship program that did that? I would like to lean to the fact that you'll probably see more of that because you're going to see the industry uh-huh. uh, in terms of the broadcasting rights. They're going to continue to push the envelope. So this, I think they're going to always find a platform to say, hey, we need a little more. We're paying you a lot of money. Give us a little more. And most of the schools will find a way, and most of the institutions, as we've seen in the past, yeah, yeah, will open up the door and let them do it. And to finish up on the softball, um, the new cha- uh, 2015 champion is Michigan, two games to one over Florida, who was the uh, overall number one seed. The uh, championship game one was Michigan two, Florida three. Game two was Florida, uh, uh, Michigan one, uh, Florida zero, and. Uh, I'm sorry. I reading this wrong. I need to be wearing my glasses, my new contacts, and all. You just got to excited. Just put it out. Yeah. There. Florida. Okay. Won, now, Florida two, won, two, won two out of three. Won won one, two, two out of three. Won the series. Defeating Michigan. Defeating Michigan. Now, it's, it's, what was interesting? You had Florida, Auburn, LSU, LSU Tennessee, LSU. and Alabama, all from the SEC. You had two from the uh, uh, Pac-12. UCLA and in Oregon. UCLA had a bad year this and year post run. That's going to get worse. Yeah. Uh two of the teams uh that struggle. UCLA was one, 
and I think uh, and Auburn was the other. They have some recruits coming in that I was told by the person that that housed uh, that's that's a that softball guru yeah. said those two re- recruits coming in. They've got some kids coming in from the Dallas and the Houston area that that, that 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 would change, and they're not pitchers. Well, I think the natural the problem you have with the Big Ten is they'll eventually get the money to be able to recruit on that level. But you're still playing in the area, similar to what you see in baseball, and we can right. go, yeah. go do a quick pick on College World Series where you have four SEC out of the eight going in there, so you see the SEC doing its work. But when you look at the fact that the Big Ten is in not necessarily a weather-friendly area for spring sports, right. it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to allow SEC to dominate it, where Big 12 fits in this. Another way that you might see cosmic shifts that people continue to see, uh, if the Big 12 can't push up in terms of a championship arena with the big programs, you might see people ferry out and look for other homes associated with the money. The Pac-12, they have to find a way to get Mm -hmm. back in the business of playing uh, championship level um, softball and baseball, if you would, in terms of the College World Series when you kind of take a Look at that, and everybody heading to Nebraska starting tomorrow um, with big games there. I think uh, LSU will get it done. And that the, the College World Series starts on June the 13th. Uh, it's a doubleheader that day. It is Arkansas, Virginia, the first game one. Is Florida. Tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Florida and Miami in game two. And then on the 14th, it's LSU, TCU, who got there. Epic, sixteen <laughs> innings, long innings, long innings. Great and to TCU, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and apparently, and, and they have giants for pitchers. Yes, at TCU. You know what? I know that from a coworker. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's an Aggie. Yeah. I'm telling you, Aggies talk to me about sports. I really have no interest in, but you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Did they know? Did they, they know heard that you were oh, a sports guy? Know, that, yeah. Well, no, he knows I'm, I'm a, ba- a basketball guy. But he's, he, he, well, he just sees off. you sport. This is you sport. I'm going to rub he all these other sports on you. Yeah. TCU has like 6'10", 6'7". He said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he said hold up, hold up. They weren't shorter than 6'3". Well, you, you're talking about a staff yeah. of Randy Johnson. So I was just like. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Literally, because that, that's scary. Uh, yeah. that, that's scary. And the last game uh, on uh, Sunday will be uh, Cal State Fullerton versus Vanderbilt. It This could be – it could be a pitcher's type duel. Uh, this year instead of the I think you'll get a couple of more home runs as you've seen last year. They, they, that, that ball flies a little more. I think to the most point, you're right that pitchers will kind of dominate it, but you'll see a little more long ball. When you when you start talking about Randy Johnson and and uh, Jr. Richard type guys standing in that <laughs> and, and on a mound throwing downhill at you when the ball coming in, you know, it's what ninety. Miles an hour, at least eighty-seven on a regular basis, and especially on that high inside curve, Doc. You know what that looks like? That that ain't good, cause that's that's too quick. That's too quick. I, I, I believe that you see some. I'll stick with them. Well, then to, to, we're gonna as we wind it down here. The five tax returns of the Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve. Show they combined to generate almost one point six billion dollars. I was waiting for that. Revenue in 2013-14 season, which represents a 69 percent increase from just three years earlier. 
That's according to CBS Sports' John Solomon, who is a National College football writer. I think all three of us follow him on Twitter. He has some great insight oh, yes. in the other things NCAA-related. Wildcat, any thoughts on uh, UAB? Um, they voted initially to bring football back, right? Yeah. And now some counselors, city council people are wondering, well, I don't know if we're going to really put as much money in if we initially played. And and that's so. what it's good. And it goes back to Doc mentioned that earlier. It's going to boil down to money. Uh, I think what is what is happening is somebody How do you make that announcement, announcement, and then like, well, it, I don't know. You, it, well, let me reference it this way. It's almost like the Glendale situation with the Arizona Coyotes. You made you you had a deal, and then when the deal wasn't to your liking. And you are being forced to spend money that you know you don't have or you don't want to spend money. You want to take it back now. And that, that that's pretty much the way I'm looking at it. You, you know, you went to the playground. You didn't like what was going on. So you're going to take your ball out of, out of, out of the... You made it, an announcement. How do you make it, the announcement it, as the leader of the school and be like, well, maybe... Doc, not. I, I'm not that person. I, I, I don't know what was in that person's frame mind when he said it. I don't know what's going on with that, his frame mind with, with him taking it back, but that's, that's, that's insulting. But the worst part about that is now you got a a a conference, a school, a a city in flux in limbo. Uh, it, no, it, no, it doesn't. It wouldn't you, be hard for me. You the man. You gonna just say just, just say point blank, folks? We're not spending no money. No, whatever. You made a point. If you're going to renege, then we finna vote. You're no longer in the conference. Well, now, that's the other thing. Hadn't heard anything from them. I hadn't got anything from Conference USA saying otherwise that, it's, that it, it is acceptable of what, what's going on. So all these little leaders that will make millions of dollars have no clue is what you tell them. Apparently so, because until I get a, a email that says it's a done deal, one way or the other, because I hadn't even got a schedule out yet. I hadn't got a, 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 a foundation, foundation schedule, and I should get one. I should have gotten one by now, but I hadn't got one. I may have missed it while I was out, but I, right now I, I don't see one in my in my box. You make my head hurt. What I do know is Carmen USA announced that the 2016 basketball championship will be in Birmingham. They announced that today. Well, means the women's basketball tournament, conference tournament championship will be in Birmingham well, again. That's a good point. I know that. Well, and that's my concern. That's your concern. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now uh, are we going to Orlando for uh, for? Uh, I'm waiting on the dates to be announced, but my plan is to be at media day in October, yeah. and I may put my foot. In Orlando in March for my birthday for the American tournament. You, you think you can handle Orlando, Cap? For my HBCU sports report before we close out as we winding down on the time, huge announcement with the Celebration Bowl, which those that may have missed it is a new bowl game that will feature the champion of the SWAC, which is a 10-member conference made up of HBCUs participating at the FCS level playing the championship of the MEAC, which is a 13-member conference of HBCU programs with 11 of them playing football. 
with those two teams, the champions of those two teams will play in Atlanta, uh, December 19th. And the big news that came off was the game will be played at 12 o'clock. And you say, that's not a big deal. But the game will be aired on ABC. Now, the ESPN 1, uh, ESPN, I should say, ESPN 2, ESPN U, it will be aired on ABC. That's, that is great. And touching on, talking about HBCUs, we have our local HBCU. Texas Southern, they're going far. Really? They're going to travel far. Far east. Going to Beijing, China from June 19th to June 30th to participate in a series of exhibition games set to be played abroad against Chinese basketball organizations. This is a blog post. This shows you, this news shows me a couple things. I put it on Twitter. It's a blog post on the Houston Round Bar Review. Men's Hoops blog also tweeted at T-H-E-V-H-R Review. Most popular blog posts I've had in a while. So, Tiger fans, I'm glad you liked it, appreciated it, acknowledged it. Hope you show up to H&PE Arena this coming season to watch Coach Mike Davis and the players do some more winning. <laughs> that's the that's a, that's a challenge to you, all you Tiger fans who, who uh, liked it, retweeted it, liked it on Google+. Plus. Let's, I want to see you at H&PE Arena. Challenge. Come swack. Play. Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Coach Davis will stick to his tough non-conference schedule so won't have too many home games, if any home games, in December inside H&PE Arena. So I challenge you to attend games and support the Tigers and Mike Davis in 2016 as they go for another swack championship, another SWAC regular season championship, a SWAC conference tournament championship, and return to the NCAA. Quote from Coach Davis about going to Beijing. This is a great opportunity for a basketball team. It will be without a doubt a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for many of our student-athletes, and we're happy to be able to participate and showcase our brand of basketball on a global stage. Anytime you get the chance to expose student-athletes to new cultures and ways of life, it's a good thing. We had a very hard-working group of young men on our team last year, and they deserve to be able to make a trip of this magnitude and represent our university internationally, end quote. I think that is outstanding. Our colleague, I'm going to throw a rock at him right now, Wildcat. Our colleague isn't going to China. He not? Because he was slow in turning in his paperwork. <laughs> his, well, let me ask this question then. Was it just his passport or he just didn't get a oh, passport? I have a passport. He has a passport. He was just slow <laughs> in. Go ahead you and tell to, him, sir. You have to send your paperwork over to China. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I understand. I've, I've done that before. He it, was it, just a tad bit slow in getting that done. I was doing other projects. See, he's such a busy man as associate professor, <laughs> writing books you, 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 and that, things that, of this you sort. Where I'm, pointing at the you know, I'm, I'm pointing at the book. I'm pointing at the book. I'm and pointing he at the was book. just slow in uh, getting that done. So that's quite all right. Ne- next time, he'll get that done. See, Absolutely. He was slow going to China, but he was quick going to the was Bahamas. Where was he? He went, he went on <laughs> yeah, hey, you know? He made that move quick, boy. So, yeah, like, hey, yeah. let me do this. But yeah, uh, great, great point. 
It, it happens. It That's happens. all right. See, he's, he has been a great addition to the KG and Fifth Ward Wildcat podcast. Excuse me. KG, Fifth Ward Wildcat, and Doc podcast. So we thank you very much. Thank you for pestering me to join our podcast. We got that done. I'm glad you're part of the trio. Thank you. And, um, and thank you for well. making sure that I did not wait to get my paperwork in, in if you would, to go down to um, – the final four for the women's basketball. That was a treat to really one see UConn. Um, take oh, and, and UConn will be once these schedule is announced. <laughs> UConn no, is I coming. Agree. UConn is <laughs> coming <laughs> to Houston. They're coming to Hawthorne. They're coming yeah. season. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the train as Wildcat refers to him. Coach Oyema, yeah, and his crew will be coming to a latest SmackDown on Coach Huey's improved basketball team. Yeah, I plan to be in the house for that. But I'm fans, if you want to see. I need to make sure uh, I'm there to what watch a championship it, squad looks like yeah. in person. Yeah, how how they Damn rebuild the spot, well, the score. Let me let me let just me, come see greatness in person. Let me say it this way: how a team reboots, resets, and moves forward. That's what they do at UConn. So trust me, when the schedule is announced and when that date is announced, I will mention it on this podcast and, bold and issue another challenge as I issue to the THU folks. To my U, U of H people to come see greatness in person. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up because I have, I have something to say in closing to someone who, who listens to the podcast and supports the podcast and she better be listening to this podcast. So, uh, <clears throat> let me, fin- let me finish out. Uh, I got one, uh, uh, shout out. I want to thank, uh, Hampton University SID Maurice Williams for being the moderator during the, Women's College World Series. I was treated well. The city of Oklahoma City uh, treated everybody very well. The weather was great. We only had one day of uh, lightning strike. Uh, the rain was just the rain. But uh, when I tell you about lightning in the Midwest, it is different. Uh, <laughs> it, it, trust me, it can turn the darkest of night into day of light. Uh, and Maurice, I will... The, uh, stay in touch and thank you uh, for helping me out during the week. Uh, it, it was a, just a, a a good a good week of, of sports, and I enjoyed myself watching our uh, women's softball. You know, you know how we're going to help that grow. We're going to send Maurice a link to this podcast of you acknowledging Maurice, <laughs> and he and he respected it. That's okay. right. And Trust that's, me, he respected it. That's he, he respected it. That's how. Our base grows as well. That's right. And who are you again, sir? I am. Why were you there anyway? Oh, because I was invited. I, I, I was asked to, to asked to come. But who are you? I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat, the college sports reporter. I am Jerry L. Woodley, Jr. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, at J.L. Woodley, Jr. J.L. Jerry Lee Woodley Jr., J.L. Woodley 1. You can find me on Blogger, YouTube, and uh, I'm forgetting something. SoundCloud. SoundCloud uh, at, as AKSV, the CSR. Which stands for? The College Sports Report. You are? Yes. I Associate am. Professor? <laughs> Dr. Tenured! Dr. Kenyatta Caville, Texas Southern University. The sports professor, a.k.a. the data doctor, as some people would like to say. But before I give you my social media platforms of how you can follow me, 
One thing I would like to add, since we know that the Hamptonist ID will be listening to the fact that Hampton <laughs> will be a HBCU with a lacrosse program on the men's side coming up next year and actually will be a full-fledged Division One really? program. It, Maurice, did, you didn't mention that, Maurice. Um, so I thought that's a pretty big deal. It's the first time that the HBCU uh, will have a men's lacrosse team since um, – Fully fledged Division One program um, in the seventies with Morgan State, um, so it'll be interesting to follow. I thought that was a big deal for them to make. That, that is a big deal. Commitment. I have to throw out there that there are other HBCUs such as Morehouse, Howard, along with Hampton when they were doing it, Morgan State that were having uh, intermural, if you would, or mm-hmm. teams, club team, uh, club team, lacrosse teams. Uh, so it's good to see. I'm sure that they're all excited about the fact. In fact, the culture that. Uh, team for Hampton will be a individual that played for that Hampton uh, team. Uh, I mean, played for the Morgan State team in terms of a father-son combination. So it'll be something interesting to follow, and I'll keep you updated on that. With that, you can find me on the social media platforms at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, it's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can also find me every Tuesday uh, for a live chat on HBCU Sports at Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, where we mix it up in the lab for an hour on KCOHradio.com. That is 12.30 a.m. for folks that can listen to it live from 7 to 8 Central Time. You can also catch the podcast, if you would, on SoundCloud. If you're SoundCloud, I should say, if you're not able to get it live again, it's Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. That is with Ryan McGinty, Mike Washington, Charles Bishop, well, we really talk about the HBCU sporting scene and what's going on in terms of all the sporting HBCU diaspora in regards to the bands, culture, uh, games, and more, if you would, uh, as well as the fact we're having a special segment this summer where we look at the business of sports. It just makes dollars and cents uh, where we look at, obviously, the financial side of sports, where we even calls it bears up. Bulls down in regards to who's hot, who's not, those kind of frameworks. Exciting information out there. We look at marketing, branding of sports, particularly looking at HBCUs in terms of uh, what different frameworks that they are doing. Again, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Or you can continue to listen to us right here on the podcast that we try to bring to you weekly. Uh, but just keep up with us because we always will let you know what's going on. Sometimes we might do some special announcements, special podcasts, as well as our traditional regular podcast. And we have a few things that still in in the works that we're going to work on as we get to uh, football season. So just keep listening, keep following us on big, uh, big things coming out there on our Facebook fan page. A few things when to wrap up. Wildcat, I trust that you will be covering. Houston Baptist University's sand volleyball team. <laughs> I trust you will, because if yeah. not, you need to let Wildcat and I know if you need some help covering some of those wait, events. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. See, see so, you already, you already flustered it all the way you had. It's, so, you you uh, mentioned my name twice H- instead, of, instead of Doc into the H- second H- contest. H- oh, excuse me, excuse me, Doc, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was reading, trying to read your release as well. And Doc knew what I meant. He knew what I meant. 
<laughs> so you let let Doc and I know if you want to need some help taking pictures and things of that sort, interviewing Coach Trent Herman. Yeah, because I love HBU. to see sandbox, sand volleyball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The inaugural. Matter of fact, they're refereeing that now. With the, that, we just about at the end of the. They uh, announced two signees session and in, in with the city. They announced two signees on Thursday. Oh, really? Uh, to NLI National Letters of Intent, Ariel Horton oh, and Guinevere Meyer. So this is serious. They will begin full time competition in 2016. So good luck to uh, Coach Trent Herman at HBU and Sam Volleyball. That's that. Well, you mentioned to me in the past. I just thought I was floored by that. But I'm, I'm not, <laughs> folks I, thought I was joking. I know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So and they they've got a blue pit. They've got a blue sand pit that right that. that's right in front of the uh, uh, between the softball, the dorm, and the uh, eating hall. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward it's to that. It's gonna be interesting. Taking out uh, taking out the environment. Doc, it's another set of scholarships. Exactly. I, that, that, I'm a, I'm a, from what I hear from parents in the suburbs, it's another set of scholarships for my child. That's what I hear. Yeah, that the football players and basketball players are paying for. Doc. Mom and dad said, that's another scholarship for my child. Okay. I like football and basketball. Like Doc players. said, exactly. <laughs> I'm letting it go. So I'm letting it go. We talk about that. a whole bunch of things in this podcast. NBA Finals, Rockets, uh, sand volleyball, lacrosse, softball, college softball, baseball. I'm going to talk about something else real quick as well. But soccer. listen, listen to soccer. Talk about well, the oh, well, Women's you know World what? Cup. The, the match is that's over. Interesting. That's interesting. Uh, U.S. women's team in Thai Sweden, nil-nil. I wasn't too thrilled about that, but they still lead the, it. the group. I'm going to go with they lead the group. Yeah, they lead, they lead the group with four points, so that's the important thing. Oh, okay. God. Okay, that's two ties for Sweden. So. Oh, yeah. They so, U.S. needs to get a tie in their final match in the group, and they win, should win the group, as far as I know. That's uh, right. Did you? Uh, I'm gonna let you finish. But did you? Uh, did Sep help you out with with any of his? Uh, he oh, see, because that can be a whole other podcast. We're talking about the disaster. I, I thought about FIFA. you and your your friend that, so much. I was like, dis- man, disaster <laughs> of FIFA. We we may need to touch on that. And, and folks, says out in time about that crap. I, I, that, I will say this: the corruption. They, that they had that group had a lot more control over what transpires worldwide from that level. All the way down to the day-to-day youth level, that is a lot of control for a group of uh, a group of thugs, thieves. Oh yeah, they not any worse than our own football commissioner that knew about concussions but, to me, which was far worse than that, and decided to cover it up. So I get a little flustered when you hear that word. And we decide. When things are outside and we don't get our way because we don't get the bid. Not that I'd say they shouldn't have went after. I don't have a problem. But we know where this is coming from. We're mad. You have people that are mad. We're going to show our power. We're going to show you. Well, it worked out. They brought them down. But I'm like, sometimes you might want to look behind your own doors what's going on, particularly mm-hmm. in the NFL and a lot of the frameworks of what we just we talked go about over the last yeah, we, two years yeah, what's going on. Before we throw rocks, we need to clean up our own house before we go anywhere else. Anyhow, real quick. Listeners. People who follow us, follow Twitter followers, head to the KG Fifth Water Wildcat and Doc page on Facebook. It's kind of naked. We need your thoughts, need your input. I have one, we have one serious diehard supporter who liked the comment that I uh, posted on there on June 9th that we're hoping to podcast today. 
and she knows who she is. She liked the post, <clears throat> and she and I are going to be at the Ensemble Theater together in two weeks. So she knows who she is. I told her I was going to acknowledge her during this podcast. So I know. Amen. She, she going to call you out. She's she gonna call you out if you if if you didn't tell if if, if the podcast didn't go like she wanted that. No, she gonna he, call you out. No, I, I know. I, he did what he's supposed you know, to. Yeah. He's, so he's smooth. He's we're, good. We're going to see uh, traveling. That's, to his that's about the uh, 1930s. Sorry, 1930s Harlem musical. So we're going to see that in two nice. weeks. So I'm looking forward to All seeing that with her. So I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. www.houstonroundballreview.com Houston Round Bar View on Twitter. Excuse me, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. Twitter, T A T H R Review. Our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're everywhere. Hit us up. Gentlemen, thank you as always for your insights, opinions, laughter, interaction. (laughs) It's what we do here on the KG Fifth World Wildcat and Dog Podcast. Gonna wrap it up. As I always do. Y'all know. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.